Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus and for the amazing work he has done for us that we have so often failed to understand and appreciate. Help us to do that better today. In Jesus' name, amen. How much is too much? It's an interesting question, and there's no perfect answer. Yet, despite the challenge of specifically quantifying how much is too much, normally we can all agree when too much has been achieved. We don't always agree on how much is enough. But usually, rational people like us know when things are way more than enough. This is what I'm talking about. I want to give you some examples here. So, so we have scooter. That's enough, right? Okay, so no, too much. No, that's, that's too much. Okay, what else? We have snow. Now, to some of you, that may be too much, but to a person who likes snow, that's, that's great. Now, no, that's too much. That's a house there, if you wondered. That's too much. Okay, bicycle. Now, you might say, no, 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 that's way too loaded down. But, but actually, comparatively, nah, that's way, way too much there. All right, trucks. Delivery truck. Yeah, okay, good load. And too much. Nope, too much. And one more, donkey with a cart. Okay, looks good. And yeah, too much. Nope, too much. See, it's not that hard to tell, really. We might quibble a bit on the first picture as to whether or not that's enough or too much, but I think we're all pretty clear on the last picture. Too much, just ask the donkey. He'll tell you, too much. So we're considering today another story from the life of Jesus, a story that takes place at the table. Sometimes life changes at the table. A story where some, if not in fact most, who were present that day, we're pretty sure what they had just seen and smelled for that matter was one of those donkeys in the air scenarios. It was way too much. This is the fourth message in this seven-part series. Wraps up on April 15. Next Sabbath is Communion Sabbath, so I hope you will be here and be a part of that. Tasting and seeing, sometimes life changes at the table. And today we're asking, how much is too much? And to that end, I want to tell you about something that some members of this church have been doing that some people might think is too much, or at least it might seem that way to someone who's never tried it. And what they're doing involves food and a table or two. So I want to invite Patricia and Howard Walker to come up here. Now, you might not know them. They typically go to third service, so you might not have seen them unless you're coming in and coming out. But uh, Patricia is one of our elders here at the Forest Lake Church. And uh, Patricia and Howard developed a special ministry. Come on around here on the other side of the stand there. Developed a special ministry. Tell us what you guys have been doing. Um, so, good morning. Happy Sabbath. Um, we joined this church about five years ago, and uh, we didn't really know anybody. And one lady kind of adopted us, Jane Palmer, but then after that, we really didn't know anybody. So we took the spiritual gifts and found out that we both have the gift of hospitality, and I love to cook. So we thought, okay, Lord, how can we use this to make a big church 
smaller. So we kind of started this little ministry, making a big church small, one meal at a time. So the Holy Spirit gave me this idea, and I know it was the Holy Spirit, because I don't think I would have come up with this on my own, to invite people to dinner, Sabbath dinner. So we did, and we set a date, and we invited people that we didn't know to dinner, and we invited, invited like a lot of people. And the amazing thing is they didn't know us and we didn't know them and they came. <laughs> they came to this Sabbath dinner that we invited them to. And it was incredible. So how long have you been doing this now? We've been doing it now about three years. We had to take a short stint off because we sold our old house and got another one. So, you know, you can't bring people when your house is on, on the market. So we took a little moratorium, but we're back. And so we're, we've been doing it about three years. Who's come? Whoever the Holy Spirit puts on our heart. And literally, we will set a date. We do it about once a quarter. And so I'll say, okay, now, Lord, who do we invite? And we look for this last dinner. We looked and we sit on the front row on Sabbath. And there was this lady who came every Sabbath. She sat on the front row. She never said anything, took copious notes of the sermon, and then greeted me with a smile when she left. And I thought, okay, she's got to go on the list. <laughs> but just people, we would randomly run into people that we didn't know. And we would invite them. And they came. And so we, before we serve dessert, and we really have good dessert, we require that you interview someone at the table that's at the house and then introduce this person to the larger group before you can get your dessert. And we have found such interesting things about the guests that have been at our table. Isn't that an amazing idea? And the way that's built the community. Now, how is it when you come to this big church where you used to not know anybody, what's it like when you come in now? It's great. Now, we don't know you at second service, and we don't know the people at sunrise, but I said to my husband after the first service, we're going to have to find a way to get some of the people from, from sun first service, first we call it sunrise, yes. because they came afterwards and they said to us, if you invite us, we'll come. <laughs> and there were little old ladies on their walkers, and I thought, well, we got to have you. <laughs> so we have to find a way now to invite our first service family to our third service meal because there are people who worship here that because of when we worship, we don't know you. Now, this is a service that has, tends to have a, a, a larger number of younger people here who traditionally have the hardest time connecting with the church community. What would you say to some of the folks here that would help make that happen? Got any advice? Well, one of the things is we're coming for you, <laughs> just so you know. But we don't make it hard we did it one of our, we try to do it once a quarter. So one of those quarters, of course, fall in the winter months. All we had was a hearty soup, cornbread, salad, and something to drink. That's all. That's all we did. And our house was a small house. Before we moved to where we were, we had a small house. And they crammed in there. They were eating on TV tables. They didn't care. They just enjoyed the fellowship. And the Holy Spirit revealed to us in our worship some of the most amazing things happen over a meal. Christ's first miracle happened over a meal. I know there was food at that wedding. I know there was. <laughs> but the Last Supper, a meal. Peter, in being forgiven for three times denying Christ over a meal. And it occurred to me after hearing the first service, what if in all of these meals, 
we have actually entertained angels. Amen. Wouldn't that be something? Amen. We didn't know, but when we get to the kingdom, Christ will say to us, that wasn't just a stranger, that was an angel. Amen. Amen. So doesn't that sound awesome? Isn't that a neat thing to do? So yeah, let's thank them for their good work. <clears throat> now, by the way, Howard does talk whenever he gets permission. And actually, no, he much prefers to let Patricia talk, and she does a beautiful job. But this is definitely a, a team ministry that they do together. And I want to put that challenge on some of you, particularly for this service and the group that is a part of this service. It's so easy to be disconnected. And I want to challenge you to reach outside your circle. You may have a group you meet with a lot, but there may be a lot of people here who don't have that group. Reach outside every now and then and bring them. So, all right, let's get back to the question. How much is too much? John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Now, it seems very clear that this story in John also appears in Matthew and in Mark and it's likely the same story that appears in Luke, although the details are somewhat different that might cause you to wonder. And if you've been participating in the small group study part of this series, which is an important part of this series, then you've already wrestled with these questions and gained some insights. But for our starting point today, I want to start with the story in John. And I want to think about what stuck out to John at this event. Who did he notice? Now, in terms of where does this story fit in Jesus' life, it's happening right near the end of his life. We're in the last week of his life, if not, in fact, down to the closing days. Lazarus is mentioned in this text. In chapter 11, Lazarus is raised, and now in chapter 12, we see him again. They're in Bethany. That's the town just outside of Jerusalem where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, and Martha is noted as well as serving. Now, just a quick word about Martha. Martha sometimes takes a lot of negative, uh, negative press because of the one time when she wanted Mary to help her to serve when she wasn't. And we've even developed that into a phrase where we say, don't be a Martha. Well, I want to say this. Maybe she didn't get it right that day, but Martha got it right most of the time. And Martha is an impressive biblical character that you should read about and know about. Chapter 11, when she interacts with Jesus after the death of her brother, it's a powerful interaction, and she gives the confession, the great confession of the faith. I know you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Martha got it. So don't pick on Martha. John 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And immediately after, though the text doesn't say it, immediately after Mary poured that perfume, a room full of men suddenly felt very uncomfortable. You see, maybe you can pretend to not see something going on on the other side of the room, but you can't claim to miss an overpowering smell. You don't have to look for smells. They find you, right? 
And regardless of whether or not you had knowledge that caused you to question Mary's character before this incident, you most certainly would have been likely to question her character now. Too much, Mary. Way too much. I mean, I know you like him, but come on. Think this through. First of all, the optics are terrible. Whether you have a negative history or not, slipping up behind Jesus, behaving as if there's no one else around, letting your hair down and using it to wipe Jesus' feet, you thought readings from Song of Solomon were scandalous. Too much, Mary. And second, the smell. I mean, we all appreciate an inspiring fragrance, but moderation, please, right? Even if it was the greatest smell on earth, did you really have to pour out the whole pint? Just a little. Whatever happened to subtlety? Whatever happened to just a whiff? Just enough to stimulate the senses? This is violent olfactory assault. Storm the nose. Take no prisoners. The room was overwhelmed with the smell. And finally, the sheer wastefulness of it all. I think Judas speaks for us all, or at least most of the men, when he says in verse 5, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Think about it. It's crazy, right? A year's wages, or at least a year's wages for a laborer, all at once. Too much, right? The whole thing, it's too much. It's full-blown scandalous behavior mixed with olfactory overkill and topped off with acute fiscal irresponsibility. It's too much. Events like this are the reason so many men have cliches about the irrational behavior of women, right? That's all right, I'll fix that. Hold on. But wait a minute my fellow offended gentlemen and possibly a couple of ladies, wait a minute before we go off smugly to our doom. You caught what I said right before I read the text, right? I think Judas speaks for us all, or at least most of the men, when he says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now here's just a quick rule of thumb with the Bible. We have likely lost our way when Judas has become our spokesman, right? So what exactly is happening here? And what is wrong with me that I can so easily see where Judas is coming from? What am I not getting? How much is too much? Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, as much as I would like to simply stay in the book of John with this story, I can't help but suspect, despite the fact that the righteous rebuke for my straying imagination and my cold heart certainly lies in John in the words of Jesus. Yet the answer to what I don't get is actually found in Luke in a story so similar in many details but so different in the point it makes. 
And regardless of whether or not these stories are actually the same event, they are close enough that I believe the point applies. Luke chapter 7, verse 40. Jesus answered him, Jeff, I have something to tell you. Now that may say Simon there, but, but my version here says Jeff, and you can read it any way you need to. But Jesus answered him, Jeff, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, I said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love more? Jeff replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have answered, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Jeff, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And to that I say, ouch. Is it true? Have I only loved the Lord a little? Is that why what Mary did seems to me like too much? And don't be all smug with me right now either. Maybe you know this stories in the Bible and you know that Jesus affirms the woman's action and therefore you know which side you're supposed to automatically be on. But is the side you know you're supposed to be on the one you would have naturally been on had you been in that room that day? Don't be smug with me. I know most of you to be reasonable people. And on that basis, I suspect that even the most gracious of you would have thought Mary's actions, while well-intended, were just a bit much, ironic understatement implied, and not really appropriate to the setting or any setting, really? Crying on his feet and wiping it with your hair, really? But you know what, all you responsible people who understand decorum? You, like me, are wrong. This was no overloaded cart, donkey in the air scenario, even though that's what it might have looked like. So what do we do with this story? How do we end this? How, what do we take home? I had the privilege this past week to sit with two small groups that considered this passage and the others from Matthew and Mark and Luke. And in both instances, as we were considering this story, I was amazed at the passion and the emotion that this story provoked in the group. In addition, as we pondered the details of the story, the women in both groups were, as a whole, much quicker than the men to know why what Mary did was not too much. This seemed very significant to me because I don't normally see a clear gender differentiation in a group when it comes to the comprehension of a Bible story. But this time, I saw a difference. And gentlemen, it was not in our favor. What does it mean? Well, for one thing, it likely means I might not have been the best person to do this sermon today. 
But on the other hand, perhaps it means I desperately needed to do this sermon today because I needed to check my concepts of decorum and appropriateness and find out that what I judge to be too much might actually not even be enough. Do I even know what it means to be forgiven much and to therefore love much? I should, for indeed I have been forgiven much and indeed been blessed much. But what about you? What has the Lord ever done for you? It's kind of an awkward question sometimes for a variety of reasons. For some of you, it doesn't always feel like you've been forgiven much because mostly you always followed the rules and you did what you were supposed to do. And that's great. You've been spared many trials and regrets, but has good living left you love and grace deficient? You have been forgiven much, or maybe you feel like you haven't been forgiven much because you've been so good, right? If this is true for you, then if you are honest, it will be hard for you to understand what Mary did. For some others, you bring to this issue of loving greatly the challenge of having been successful in life. And your success is making it hard for you to love greatly. Your problem looks like this. You have been successful, and no one, including you, can deny it. And as a bonus, you have mostly avoided sin and foolishness that has brought many others, even some of your friends, to ruin all around you. And you know that God has blessed in your life and been an important part in your success. But what part? It's awkward for you to say, I have what I have because God blessed me. And it's awkward for two reasons. For one, you know you worked hard. You know you worked hard for your success. And two... If it's just a blessing from God that could have gone to anyone, then why did it come to you and not someone else? As crazy as it sounds, sometimes it's easier to just say, I worked hard and got lucky, than it is to suggest God has blessed you more than someone else. And we think we do that in order to spare God's reputation. Because why is it fair that you have been so blessed and others have struggled? Yes, some because of foolish decisions they made, but others have struggled for no fault of their own. You were born in America, or at least you live here now, but so many others were born in Syria, or Somalia, or Senegal, or El Salvador. It's hard to think that God blessed you and not them, isn't it? And in that light, luck Kind of seems like a God-protecting idea, right? But is that what it is? Is it luck? Or is luck just an excuse for not truly glorifying God with your life and committing your blessings to His service? What is the source of your success? Just got lucky? Just worked hard? Because if that's what you think, then you owe God nothing, right? Did God play any role at all? Given these options, is it any wonder those most blessed find it easy to love least? Or maybe neither of these scenarios of you, you never, maybe you never made good choices and your life isn't a brilliant success story and yet 
here you are, sitting in the house of the Lord, fully loved and fully accepted as a child of God. You know what I say to you? Lucky. You get it, don't you? You know you've been forgiven much. And so for you, it isn't hard to love much. And you also know what too many of us have yet to learn. You know the answer to the question, how much is too much? What you have learned is this, when it comes to showing love for Jesus, there is no such thing as too much. And this is the belief I hope we all go home with. And once we have this belief, we need to start acting on it. But what does it look like? Well, if Mary is any indication, believing that nothing is too much is going to look a little crazy sometimes. You're going to do things that are going to leave other people scratching their head. No doubt in its fullness, this love will look different in each of us. But I think there will be some things in common. First, our actions will be based upon our understanding of how much we've been given and how much we've been forgiven. Because we have been loved much, we will be able to love much. Our actions will probably seem like too much to those on the outside, but we on the inside who know what God has done for us will know that these crazy things aren't even close to enough. A quick guide to whether or not you're getting this right. If you haven't surprised anyone by an act of devotion to Jesus for a long time, you're probably not getting it right. Are your friends amazed at how devoted to Jesus you are? Do they ever say to you, aren't you taking this a little too far? Your sins have been forgiven. The more you understand what that means, the more you will come to know what Mary knew. When it comes to showing love for Jesus, there is no such thing as too much. Let's pray. Father, very few of us have ever shown love to you like Mary did. Call it pride, call it shame, call it lack of understanding of what you've done. But Jesus, you came and gave your life for us. You forgave our sins and gave us a new life. You've blessed us and prospered us. Many times we've said, I give you my life. But have we meant it? Help us to realize when it comes to loving Jesus, there is no such thing as too much. In Jesus' name, amen.